Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Festive Yule, whatever you celebrate at this time of year, may it be joyous. The days only get longer and lighter from here on out. Coming up on this episode of The Eagle, we'll go over the top headlines. The year is ending with good news, which is that uh, the city of Albany is going to receive a grant of almost $10 million that is going to aid in the, the rehab of Central Warehouse. And we'll talk about the alarming shortage of fever-reducing medicine for children. Don't just start dosing your own children. You know, don't start taking adult Tylenol, breaking it down and thinking that you know how to properly dose your child. This is The Eagle, a Times Union podcast, a look inside our newsroom. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall. All right, let's discuss now what appeared in the Times Union and on timesunion.com this week. All right, welcome back. We are here now with Times Union Editor-in-Chief Casey Seiler. Uh, Let's go over the top headlines. We'll start with The Central Warehouse. When we last talked about this famous... (laughs) I want to say famous or infamous, Albany eyesore, pieces were literally falling off of it and it caused a regional transportation incident when Amtrak had to shut down its service. Um, There have been developments since then uh, vis-a-vis the county's quest to wrest the ownership of the building from this guy downstate. And now this week, uh, there was another development. It seems like things might be heading in the on-track direction for a rehab? What's the latest there? Look, Jess, like all of us, Central Warehouse just wants love. And when we (laughs) don't get it, we lash out. And of course, last summer, Central Warehouse lashed out, throwing pieces of its crumbling self onto the uh, rail line that unfortunately runs just a couple of feet next to it, uh, thereby shutting down briefly freight operations <laughs> across the Northeast. So obviously this year, the the fate, the crumbling of, of Central Warehouse, the ongoing battle to turn it into something that is not a hideous eyesore has been one of you know the, the top capital region stories of the year. Uh, and now the year is ending with good news, which is that uh, the city of Albany is going to receive a grant of almost $10 million that is going to aid in the, the rehab of Central Warehouse. This is coming from the Empire State Development's uh, Restore New York initiative. It's a big grant as those grants go. Of course, Central Warehouse is uh, almost half a million square feet of space. The title of it is being handed off really just even as we speak. We're talking on Thursday to a limited liability company that's operated by Redburn Development and Columbia Development, which are, of course, well-known to local folks for um, a lot of big projects around the region. And in fact, as we are talking now, our columnist Chris Churchill and other members of the media are about to uh, get a tour of Central Warehouse 
along with the county executive uh, and other uh, local officials. I hope everybody is wearing their hard hats. I am heartbroken that I'm not going along on this tour, but we will have uh, photos from our outstanding Jim Franco offering uh, a glimpse inside this hideous eyesore and, uh, and look for Chris's take on Central Warehouse Faith and its future in uh, Sunday's print edition. I'm dying to know what the inside of that building looks like. So I'm going to stick by timesunion.com for that. I'm going to say it doesn't look like a ski lodge. But maybe someday it will. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's move on just a short distance away to I-90, where there has been a billboard that was put up in the last week. I'm sure many a Capital Region commuter has seen it already, and maybe it ruined their day after seeing it. It's an ad against drunken driving featuring a photo of an adorable little baby that supposedly died in a car crash involving a drunk driver. But uh, this week we found out that it's all fake. What's going on there? Yes, this was um, a billboard that was put together by uh, several students at Shaker High School as part of a class project to put together an advertising campaign, in this case, a PSA. The students chose uh, the fight against drunk driving, of course, an absolutely worthy cause without a doubt. And they designed what we can definitely agree is a campaign that will rip your heart right out of your chest. As you described, it's a picture of a beautiful, smiling little baby. And the message is, James will never know what Christmas is like, drive sober. And the dates that are under the photo suggest that, or state that this uh, this child died at about 10 months a week before Christmas. Um, And so Kathleen Moore, our excellent education reporter, got a news release about this and and thought, well, this is, you know, th- this is, uh, she's a, a parent herself. This is hard tugging and was going to write it up, but thought, you know what? I'm not just going to copy paste a news release, which I am extremely proud of her for. Instead, <laughs> I'll do a little bit of reporting, get some detail on this horrible tragedy. And she very quickly uh, discovered that James did not exist and called up the school. The school took several days to get back to her. And then finally, she heard back from a spokesperson for the regional BOCES, who finally acknowledged that, in fact, the kids had made it up. And apparently the teacher realized a little bit late in the process or was informed a little bit late in the process that this was fake or invented. And she decided that it was okay after she went to the parents and went to the billboard company that donates the space for um, this kind of project. Now, I am a newspaper editor. I am constitutionally troubled when something that presents itself as being fact is in fact invented. But I will acknowledge that Most of the online comments that I've seen, or at least many of those comments, you know, strike the the attitude of who cares? This is a powerful message. And if it prevents somebody from driving drunk or thinking twice about having that extra cocktail, I'm okay with it's being invented. This is an ad. I have had that debate with my own family and a couple of other people just in the 24 hours since this story went up. Mm -hmm. But it makes you think. Without a doubt, and I encourage everybody to 
to read it and think about it as they drive I-90 and see this very powerful billboard. Absolutely. And methinks that uh, some of those kids might have a future in advertising because of, of all of this. Well, I just I just hope they don't take this lesson if they decide their future in advertising goes to political advertising. That's a whole different topic. <laughs> a whole different topic for a whole different podcast. All right. Uh, let's move on to news this week. Um, a federal judge in Albany declared a mistrial in the case of a man that was charged with armed robbery of two capital region banks back in 2019. Tell us what happened there. Yeah, this is the 2019 robbery in February of that year of two banks, one in Albany and one in North Greenbush about three weeks after the first robbery. One of the men involved, allegedly involved in this case, was facing a federal trial on what was scheduled to be the last day of the trial, the night before that expected final day, an FBI agent informed the defense team, or rather informed the prosecution who informed the defense team, that some 200 pages of forensic evidence that should have been handed over to the defense during the discovery process had not been handed over. And the judge in the case took the agent and both sides, uh, prosecution and defense, into chambers and pretty much gave it to the agent uh, who uh, acknowledged the mistake, said the onus was on him to hand it over. He had forgotten about it. It was an oversight. And the judge, federal judge, made D'Agostino made the point, hey, we went to the trouble of assembling a jury. You know, all of us have shown up. This is quite an investment of the taxpayers' dollars for all of us to be here. And this error is going to result or is likely to result in a mistrial, which is, in fact, what she did the next workday, which was Monday of this week. Now, this means that federal prosecutors can bring the case again against this defendant, but definitely uh, not something you want to do to a federal judge in a prosecution, for sure. Certainly not. And as ha- someone who has recently served on a jury, that process takes a bit of time. So, yeah. I- and imagine if, yeah, imagine if you had upended your, your professional life, your family life to uh, participate in a jury. And this kind of error essentially meant that all of your work went into the wastebasket. I would imagine you would be a little bit upset. Yep, that is accurate. All right, uh, moving on to recreational marijuana. Sales start next week in New York. That seems like huge news. Tell us more. As we come to the end of 2022, New York State is bound and determined to see at least a couple of actual retail sales of cannabis take place. And the state uh, now says that uh, it's going to happen on December 29th. It's probably not going to be in the capital region. It's uh, certainly not going to be simultaneous across the state. It looks like the first licensed retail sales are going to be made downstate by a nonprofit called Housing Works. And uh, it's, uh, it's going to be up and running before any of the other licensees, as Rebecca Ward reported. We will watch out for that, uh, see how that develops. It seems like it's a long time coming. So 
Um, stick by Capital Confidential on timesunion.com for more news on that. Um, and finally, before I let you go, Casey, we are talking the Thursday before Christmas. We're in the middle of Hanukkah. Happy holidays to you. To you as well. And I'd just like to say it's been a remarkable uh, year of of hard work and good journalism for the Times Union, thanks to uh, the outstanding professionals that I work with, like yourself. And I would like to uh, take this moment at the end of the year to thank all of them and uh, just, uh, you know, let them and readers know how privileged I feel to to get to work with them every day. And when I look back on the stories we've told, it's pretty remarkable. And of course, we could not do any of this work without the readers who support our journalism, especially those who subscribe to us. And I wish all of our readers a happy holiday season as well. All right, excellent, Casey. We will talk to you next year. I hope so. As always, you can learn more about all of the topics and the issues that we discuss on this podcast at timesunion.com. After the break, have you had trouble finding children's Tylenol in stores? We'll talk about the concerning shortage of over-the-counter medicine for kids and ways parents can find it. If you're enjoying this podcast... Take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome back. You're listening to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. I learned a new term this week, tridemic. That's a word that's now being thrown around in the media and in the public health world to describe the confluence of three viral threats circulating in the capital region and beyond. Influenza, or the flu, RSV, whose full scientific name I admittedly have trouble pronouncing, and COVID. The flu has been categorized as geographically widespread in New York for almost three months. RSV is also spiking, according to the CDC. And of course, COVID hasn't gone away. There were almost 100 deaths in New York this week, according to the governor's office. It's an unpleasant triple whammy, and it's particularly concerning for children who are at greater risk for complications from the flu and RSV. The spike in illness has caused a shortage in over-the-counter children's medications like Tylenol and Ibuprofen. Those reduce pain and fever. Parents in the Capital Region have taken to social media desperate to find the medications for their children. The shelves in many local grocery stores and pharmacies have been completely emptied. Meanwhile, Senator Chuck Schumer, a Democrat, has called on the FDA to investigate the shortage. The Times Union's Christy Gustafson-Barletti has been looking into the impact of the scarcity of these medicines in the capital region, and I spoke to her to learn more. Can you just explain the situation? Like, what is the current situation vis-a-vis availability of Tylenol or acetaminophen for kids? Yeah, so it's it's not great, and it's just because the demand is just outstripping the supply. Parents have talked on social media about how they're going to, you know, six, seven, eight different stores, everything from a grocery store to a pharmacy 
to even like a convenience store and they can't find children's Tylenol or children's um, Advil and that kind of thing. And even talking with local pharmacists and local doctors, they said the same thing. It's just the stores can't keep up because there's so much sickness. There's so much flu and RSV and colds and, and even COVID is obviously still around. So the parents are you know looking for this for both the pain reliever, but more importantly, to bring down their children's fevers. Mm-hmm. And they just can't get it. And finding it online is is also proving challenging. That's terrifying. As the parent of young children, both you and I are terrified by that prospect. In fact, we actually just went through that where we had to go to eight stores before we could find any anything, whether it was acetaminophen or ibuprofen or, or really anything that could help bring a fever down. It, it was starting to seem a little hopeless, um, really scary. But so the situation right now is that there's just a confluence of really hard hitting viral things going around. Is that I mean, is it any different than it's ever been in years past? You know, we had had um, we had some numbers from that from this past week about how positive flu. Now, this includes adults as well, but positive flu has gone up and RSV has gone up. So I think it's that right. And then kids are sick. Uh, anecdotally, there's I think it was it was one school up north, and I want to say it was Glens Falls, but I could be wrong on that. But their middle and high school last week was remote for a day because they just didn't have enough staff and students to come because so many people were sick. Wow. And again, anecdotally, I know in my kids' school, they're having a quarter to a third each of their classes out because so many kids are sick. And then I also think it becomes a little bit of, you see parents talking about this online, right? And then you think, oh no, I only have one bottle left. I better go get another bottle. I, that, that was me last week. I, we have about a half a bottle left and I have two kids, both of, you know, who would take children's Tylenol. I went to Walmart. I found one bottle on the bottom shelf and the box was all beat up. And normally that's like not something I would buy. I would abandon it because of the beat up box. Mm-hmm. But I thought, well, the seal is in place and I need to have this. And I paid for it. And I like tucked it against my body thinking someone's going to try to like take it from me in the parking lot because I was having flashbacks to toilet paper in April, 2020, where you're think, oh my gosh, I found it and I need it. Yeah. But there's alternatives for toilet paper. There's not really alternatives for things like your children's medicine. So to me, that's more important than any other shortage we've we've faced, besides obviously the formula as well. Now, what did the, you spoke to a doctor and a pharmacist, what did they say parents should do if they can't find it? Yeah. So I, the number one thing is don't just start dosing your own children. You know, don't start taking adult Tylenol, breaking it down and thinking that you know how to properly dose your child from that. That was a, a big emphasis. But um, they had a couple of options. Number one is talk to your doctor about possibilities, because in some cases there are prescription versions of Tylenol. So you might be able to, you know, or something like the, the acetaminophen. So you might be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an, that's an option. Another thing is I know when I posted about how I was struggling and I found the one bottle in Walmart, so many people offered, I have one, I, you know, an unopened one, I could share one with you. I could give you one. I think if you turn to social media and I'm not talking the black market of social media where someone wants you to charge, pay $38 for a four ounce bottle. I'm talking people who genuinely want to help one another out and say, Hey, I found one. So, you know, you could turn to friends and contacts through social media. That's, that's another option. And then even looking online, but online, it's pretty much the same as going into stores. But one store that one of the doctors I talked to mentioned, and also Michelle Murphy, who is the head of Capital District Moms. So she's been looking around too and trying to help parents. 
she has had luck if you go to almost like convenience stores or gas stations because people don't think to look at Stewart's or Mobile for children's Tylenol, right? That's not where you would typically go. You would typically go to the pharmacy or the grocery store and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, she had said that she's had luck there and her followers have had luck at places like Stewart's as well. Wow, that's I didn't think of that myself. That's a that's a good tip. Now, along those lines, you say, you know, one of the the strategies would be to go to social media. Are there any parents or groups that who are actively, you know, kind of organized to try to help locate things like children's Tylenol and ibuprofen and stuff like that? Kind of like thinking back to the COVID days when people were trying to help each other set up vaccine appointments or get testing kits, that kind of thing. I mentioned Michelle Murphy and and like I said, she's the founder of Capital District Moms, and she had done something similar when there was a formula shortage. And so she is trying to sort of informally create a post that's on, on her Instagram saying, hey, here's where I've looked. Where have you found it? Can you help each other out? I'm in a lot of um, town and city groups, including Bethlehem, Colony, um, East Greenbush, Saratoga. And I'm seeing in all of those groups, people are posting either, can you help me? I really need it. Or guess what? I was at such and such a store today and they were unpacking a box. So they have a bunch. So look, we criticize social media and I think you have to be careful, right? You don't necessarily want to, again, buy an open bottle. You don't want to buy an open bottle from a stranger at all. But if somebody's able to tell you, this is where it's available, here's a store, I can get it for you. And then they're not trying to gouge you, you know, price gouge you, then I think that those are, those are potential options. What are the healthcare providers saying about you know, will this end? Is this going to go on for a while? Or are we going to have an end in sight where we can go back to the store and, you know, easily find Tylenol, Advil, etc.? So when I was speaking to the pharmacist, I spoke to Linda Lombardi, who's a pharmacist at Young's Pharmacy in Avril Park. And she had said, you know, we don't know what we're getting every day. So you get a box, you get boxes, right? You get deliveries and we don't know what's in there. We can't say, oh, good. Today we're getting in this Tylenol. We can hope that it's there, but we don't know. So she's like, there could be, we could get it a couple of days in a row. We could go several days without getting it. Then I was also speaking to Dr. Gloria Guptill and she had said, you know, Johnson and Johnson has talked about how essentially they're, they're pumping it out. They're sending it out. Um, and they hope that this will be broken soon. This, this sort of inavailability will be broken soon, hopefully by the new year, but there's not a firm, there's not a firm date, but the hope is within the coming weeks. But again, it depends on do we continue to have this high level of sickness? Do parents continue to kind of hoard it? Because that was a problem, right? We had with toilet paper and, and Clorox wipes um, in 2020. So I think there's all those factors that you can't necessarily control or even predict. We don't know if people are going to continue to be sick. We don't know if people are going to continue to hoard it. So those certainly factor into it. But Dr. Guptill was saying that Johnson & Johnson is hoping um, and looking and believes it'll be alleviated soon. And I take soon as, you know, within the new year. Well, that is hopeful news because it's a scary thing to not be able to give your kid a fever reducer when they have a high fever. It's terrifying. Right. Well, and then the other thing is, you know, the doctor's offices are overwhelmed. We know the hospitals are overwhelmed. Right. So you're sitting there thinking, okay, I can't get my child's fever down. I can't reach the doctor because it's so busy. Um, I don't necessarily want to go to the hospital because I know they're overwhelmed and then I'm exposing my child to other things as well. So I really do. I think it leads to this feeling of, of helplessness that's it's almost hard to resolve. And I, I genuinely believe the best bet that people have in the, the way that I found the most luck was um, utilizing social media, utilizing it smartly, but use, utilizing social media and utilizing your network and your community 
there because moms can relate to other moms. They know that feeling and they just want to help one another. Yeah. Parents in general, too. Dads, I'm sure, as well. All right. That's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. We're going to be taking a break next week for the holidays, but we'll be back in 2023 with another look inside the newsroom here at the Times Union. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, or head on over to timesunion.com for the latest news and features. The Eagle is a production of the Times Union. It's produced and edited by me, Jessica Marshall, with help from the Times Union digital team and the newsroom. Special thanks this week to Casey Seiler and Christy Gustafson Barletti for their contribution to this episode. And stay tuned. We've got a brand new podcast series by the Times Union debuting very soon. Here's a taste of what's in store. It's been 15 years since 12-year-old Chalique Rainwalker vanished. His disappearance from rural upstate New York was ruled a probable child homicide. But no one has ever been charged, and his body has never been found. This is Rainwalker, the Lost Boy. I'm Jessica Marshall. And I'm Wendy Lepertor. In this podcast from the Times Union, we'll take a deep dive into this mystery. The case of a missing child that has unsettled New York's capital region and beyond for more than a decade. Coming soon wherever you listen to podcasts.